Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you will open your Bibles to Colossians, the second chapter. Uh, tonight there will be uh, scriptures on the screen, but we're going to look at a lot of different passages tonight, and I hope you'll take your Bible and let's study together the awesome plan that God has for us and how we can have a tremendous resurrection. And because of that, we can talk about a, an awesome and wonderful life on this earth, but especially that which is to come. We appreciate the ones that helped with the preteen uh, retreat this weekend. They are back in as of this afternoon, uh, early afternoon, safely, and we're thankful for that and appreciate those young people and investing their weekend in such a wonderful way. Uh, there's about 25 total on that trip, including the adults that helped with that, and we love and appreciate that group and, and uh, hope that they will continue their life of faith and service to God. Also, do keep in mind, uh, the Friends Day, it will be three weeks from today. It'll be the third Sunday in May. And so there are cards in the foyer. Be sure and take you four or five of these cards. Be thinking about who you're going to invite, be praying about who you're going to invite, and then make sure that you follow up and encourage them, and let's make sure that that is a great day for the glory of God. Now, I know in the past we've been a little bit tight on space. This year it ought to be a tremendous difference. This year we'll have the entire simulcast area set up with probably over 100 extra chairs, and, and we'll have probably 150 extra chairs in here. So, and so really the seating for 1,000 or so ought to be pretty easy. So please don't hold back. Uh, we're going to eat under big tents outside, which means the seating for that is going to be much easier than trying to go into different little crooks and crannies throughout the building to eat. So it ought to be a, a good, good day. Uh, it ought to be a great day that we can encourage our friends to come and learn more about God. Also, if you do have interest in supporting a Christian college that is also a mission field in Canada, Please let me know that, and, and Tuesday night will be a wonderful opportunity for you to learn more about that. We're looking at the book of Colossians for a while on Sunday night, and as we consider the book of Colossians, we're remembering that Paul is writing from prison, and he's writing to a group of Christians that he's never met in person, but he is so excited to hear about their faith, their love, and their hope, as he mentions in Colossians, the first chapter, in verse 3 and 4. And he knows that the fruit... That, that those things are the fruit that was produced by the word, the truth of the gospel. Last Sunday night, we looked at many of the spiritual pictures, if you will, the things that we ought to grow into if we are to progress spiritually. But tonight, I'd like for us to just kind of drop back and, and as Paul gives us a glimpse of what the Christian life ought to be about. Now notice, tonight, there won't be a lot of details. It'll be the broad principle of what it is in the resurrection. Here's where we're going tonight, and notice in this passage in Colossians, the second chapter, and going into the third chapter, we see three resurrections. Friends, I want to encourage you to be prepared for all three resurrections. One's already taken place. We're going to see about the resurrected Christ. A second resurrection is the resurrection we need as we have been baptized into Christ. We are raised with Christ to live a new life. And we do that so that we'll be prepared for that final day of resurrection when all souls will stand before God. You see, that's the lesson tonight, but let's see how God would teach that lesson through Paul. We're picking up in the middle of a paragraph, and we'll drop back later in this same lesson at the beginning of the paragraph, but I want you to notice verse 13. 
You know how it is when you have a camera and you zoom in on something and then you pan back to see the, the wide scope of it? In 11 and 12, he's zoomed in on what it is to be baptized into Christ. But then he kind of pans back in verse 13 and it's almost like he starts again and he says, let's see a broad picture here. So we're in Colossians, the second chapter, and notice verse 13. He says, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. You see the movement in that passage in the beginning of the verse, you're lost in sin. But something changed. Now you're alive. And now that you're alive, your sins have been forgiven. But the implication here is when He says alive with Him. The Him is Jesus Christ. But wait a minute. I thought Jesus Christ died on the cross. Now, I know you probably have known about the resurrected Lord maybe as long as you've been alive. For just a moment, though, think with me. That's unusual, isn't it? When we hear that someone is dead, but then someone talks to them as if they're alive, how can the Apostle Paul write about a man that has died and said, I want you to be made alive with him? You know, that wasn't so easy for the apostles at one point in time in their life. Look with me, if you will, to Luke, the 24th chapter. In Luke, the 24th chapter, we see the two men on the road to Emmaus, and we see the struggle that they had in believing that the Lord that they saw was crucified, and they saw Him buried, and they waited to the third day, and even though the tomb was found empty, they couldn't find Him. And so they're walking back to Emmaus, long-faced and sad, because they had hopes that He was going to be the King of Israel, and now all they know is that He's dead. Now, of course, Jesus walks up and He begins talking to them, but they didn't know that that was Jesus. And notice as we begin reading here in Luke 24... Let's read verse 25, 26, and 27. Then he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all Scriptures the things concerning Himself. You see, he wanted them to see that he was the resurrected Lord, but he wanted them to see it through the Scriptures. But he first addressed them back in verse 25 by saying, O foolish ones and slow of heart. You see, if we do not believe in a resurrected Lord, the Lord would entitle us there saying, It's foolish. In other words, I can't be saved if I don't believe in a resurrected Lord. I can't live a life of a higher calling if I don't believe in a resurrected Lord because there would be no hope of my spiritual resurrection. They were slow of heart. They were doubters. They needed to believe. Go with me, if you will, now to John, the 20th chapter. In John, the 20th chapter, let's look at verse 8 and 9, and let's see also how the apostles even struggled in this also. And this is interesting to me to think about the, the struggle that the apostles had and how they later would speak of the fact that they did one day struggle with that. As we begin reading in John, the 20th chapter, beginning at the verse 1 and etc., we read about the ladies, uh, Mary Magdalene and others, rushing down to the tomb or going down to the tomb and seeing that it was empty, running back, and they run back to get Peter and John. And if you remember, Peter and John had a foot race, and we could ask a little trivia. Do you remember who made it first? Well, John was a faster runner, and he made it to the tomb first, and he just looked in. But you remember, Peter was the one that always jumped into things. So he runs to the tomb, and he jumps right in the middle of the tomb, and just as the women said, the tomb is found empty. Let's read verse 8 and 9 now. Then by the other disciple, that's John, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw, now notice this, he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the Scripture that he must rise again 
from the dead. Even the apostles were struggling with the fact that you could watch a man die on Friday and that he could be alive on Sunday. Friends, we look at the world about us and we live in a world that struggles with the fact that there is a resurrected Lord. You may say intellectually, I believe in a resurrected Lord, but the question for us tonight is, do we live as if we believe in a resurrected Lord? Look with me, if you will, to 1 Peter, uh, the first chapter. Now keep in mind, Peter was the one that said, wow, I was struggling with this. Now that I'm seeing an empty tomb, I'm starting to believe that maybe Jesus did resurrect. But notice, it was then that he started believing. Do you know Peter talks about that time of unbelief? Let's look at 1 Peter, the first chapter, and see that time of unbelief. We're going to read verse 3 here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, this is Peter writing. Who, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again, note that word again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says, wow, I had hope in God when Jesus Christ was alive and he told us he was the Son of God. Remember, he's the one that, when he said, who, who do men say that I am? And remember, then he said, who do you say that I am? He said, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, I had hope in him when he was alive. But you know, I watched him die on the cross. My hope, it failed. I lost hope. Peter, you lost hope? Lost hope. When did it become alive again? It became alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, the resurrected Lord changes everything. It ought to change what we believe and it ought to change the convictions in our life. We ought to be made alive with Him because Christ is not dead. Christ is very much alive. And in Acts the second chapter, keep in mind now that we see in the Scriptures that Peter honestly gave up hope for just a short while. And then that hope was made alive again when he saw the resurrected Lord. We're about to read a passage where Peter stood up and preached and it was just 50 days after he'd lost hope. You see what I'm saying? It'd be like me preaching right now about something less than two months ago I'd given up on. And to think to be able to say, look, I really had given up on that just two months ago. But, but something changed a few days later. And now not only do I believe it, now that I'm preaching it. Well, what was it that happened? Look here as he speaks about it again, Acts 2. We're going to read 23 and 24. Him, talking about Christ being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. Let that sink in. Peter's saying, this man actually died. He really died, and it was at your hands that he died. But now notice this next phrase. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Friends, how do you think that made Peter feel? How did it make Peter feel to stand before the ones that had murdered the Lord? How do you think it made him feel to know, listen, I couldn't have preached this sermon two months ago because I'd given up. I thought you guys had taken his life and I thought I'd never see a resurrected Lord. Can you imagine the stirring that must be within Peter, not only in his emotions, but even in his faith, as he says there, whom God raised up. I suggest to you he didn't preach that as just a fact. He preached it as one that was describing something that was real to him. He saw the resurrected Lord after he had lost hope. After his faith had diminished, 
And Peter later would write, as we just read over in 1 Peter, he'd write about that and he would say, I'm alive again in hope. And so it is. I need to love and appreciate the fact that Christ is alive. It ought to change everything. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. This will be the end of what we say about Christ being resurrected, about this first point of Christ being resurrected. But look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17. You'll notice we have several verses here. And as we read this, keep in mind, Paul is writing the book, the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, because there were some that stopped believing in a resurrection. And so Paul is wanting to show them how that just turns everything upside down if there's no resurrection and if Christ isn't resurrected. And so note, each of the times that I have things underlined in this on the screen, it's almost like you could say one, two, three, and four. Each of those underlines are things that they're insignificant. They don't matter. They're wrong if, if there is no resurrection. So let's begin reading 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen, number one. Go find his corpse somewhere because he's still there. If, if there is no resurrection, Christ is still dead. Number two, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Friends, we don't need to preach this morning about being Christian parents if Christ is dead. We don't need to preach about a church where Christ is the head if Christ is dead. We don't need to preach about the hope of eternal life. If Christ can't even overcome the grave, how do we think we're going to overcome the grave? Everything we could preach from this book is null and void if Christ has not resurrected from the grave. And then the last part of verse 14, and he says, your faith is empty also. You see, if this book isn't true, our faith can't be true. And then in 16, he talks about themselves as apostles. And he says, and yes, we are found false witnesses of God. They haven't been telling the truth because they've been going around telling people we've seen with our own eyes the resurrected Lord. Well, now they've become false apostles if, if there is no resurrection. Look at verse uh, 16. For... If the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. He's still in the grave. 17, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Now note this, and you are still in your sins. If there's no resurrected Lord, we're still separated from God because sin separates us from God. And that takes us to our next point. Let's go back to our home text of Colossians, the second chapter. In Colossians, the second chapter, notice there's a few other things underlined this time as we read that same verse of 13. You see, the first part of this lesson, we place the emphasis on Christ being alive. But not only is Christ alive, but Christ wants us to be alive spiritually with Him also. Let's read this verse again and note the emphasis now in verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made, and that's talking about you, He's made you alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How is it that we are dead? Sin separates us from God. Go back with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. In Romans, the third chapter, we'll look at several verses out of Romans. In Romans, the third chapter, we see verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us that have reached some kind of wage of sin. Sin separates us from God. All of us find ourselves spiritually dead at some point in our life once we've reached that accountable age. Look over a few pages, the sixth chapter in verse 23. As he says there, for the wages of sin is death. 
Now, it doesn't have to remain that way. That's why the last part of this verse is so powerful about the resurrected Christ. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look with me now, if you will, to the seventh chapter. You ever felt like that spiritual journey on earth is just not easy? Romans, the seventh chapter, is a little bit wordy. It really is wordy. Sometimes you have to really study carefully and reread to follow along. But you know what? If you feel like, hey, I find myself, I just continually do the things I didn't want to do and the things I know I ought to do, I find myself not doing this, this ought to be the passage that gives you hope. Paul writes and he says, let me tell you about the frustration of dealing with sin. Romans, the seventh chapter, let's begin reading at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. That's talking about following the law of Jesus Christ. That's spiritual. That's what will help us know how to live a spiritual life. But notice, he says, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, in other words, he's saying the activity in my day right now, I do not understand. Have you ever done that? You get through with something and you say, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I don't understand why I just did that. Let's read on. For what I will to do, in other words, he's saying now, I want to be a Christian. I want to do the will of God. Here's what I want to do. And he says, that I do not practice. That's not what I set out to do today. I set out today to study God's Word. I was going to set a time time to study God's Word. And here it is, the day's gone and I'm going to study. I didn't do what I said I was going to do. I said I was going to go to sister so-and-so's house and, and help that shut-in. And, and now the day's gone, and, and I didn't help her. I said I was going to follow God today, and I let God down today. You hear Paul's frustration as he writes this. He says, but what I hate, that I do. I hate when I let God down. I hate when I do things to, to damage my relationship with God. I hate when I let my fellow man down. I hate when I let my family down. Paul is saying the very things that I hate. He says, I find myself doing these things. Let's read on now as he says in 16. If then I do what I will not. In other words, he wills not to do. I agree with the law that it is good. Problem's not the law of God. The law of God's good. The problem is us. We're sinners. We struggle. Let's go to the next slide and, and let's look at 23, 24, and 25. Still the same chapter. We're still dealing with Paul's frustration here. He says, But I see another law in my members. Notice this word warring. Hear the conflict? Warring against the law of my mind. Now keep in mind, the law of the mind is the mind that we serve Christ to submit our will to the will of God. But then there's a war with the the members of the flesh. And so there's a battle going on within us. And notice he says, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then you can just hear Paul's frustration. I really believe if Paul were, were just reading through this passage right here, I think he would almost be yelling at this point. I believe you would hear the frustration in his voice as he would say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What's the use? Who could help me? 
I find myself failing day after day. Could I be worth anything? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that with the mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin. Now as we read on down in Romans the 8th chapter remember the chapter break doesn't change the topic here. I want to read verse 6, 7, and 8 and then we'll back up in just a moment. we I'm sorry, we don't have a slide for this one, but skip down to Romans 8, and then we'll go to that next one. In Romans 8, look what he says in 6, 7, and 8. For to be carnally minded is death. You see, we're talking about what separates us from God. Sin. To be carnally minded, to have our mind set up on sin, what is that? Death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, but it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, how can we change this? What do we do if we're becoming spiritual minded? What can we do to have the forgiveness of sins? Let's go back a few pages or back one page to Romans the sixth chapter. In Romans the sixth chapter, we see an answer that's going to be a parallel answer as we drop back in just a moment to our text in Colossians 2. In Romans the sixth chapter, notice what he says in 3, 4, and 5. And think about what we do Whence we're dead in sin to be made alive with Jesus Christ. He says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ, now here it is, here's our resurrection. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Paul teaches. We don't want to remain spiritually dead. He says, you take that individual that's spiritually dead and you crucify that old person of sin. That's repentance. And then you bury that dead with Christ. Here's the beauty. And we come out of that water resurrected with Him. Now think about the apostles. They saw Christ die and they saw Him resurrected. And think what it meant for them to be able to preach and say, we can do the same thing spiritually. Here, speaking and writing by inspiration, they say sin separates us from God, but we can put to death that old man of sin with Christ in the waters of baptism, and we can rise to walk a new life. Let's go back to Colossians again. And now, you remember I told you at the beginning, 11 and 12 was like really focusing in, and then... 13, which is our text for tonight, pans back. Let's look at 11 and 12, and let's see how he describes our resurrection. 11 and 12. By the way, folks, this is the only time in the New Testament, the only time in the Bible, that we see baptism illustrated through circumcision. So this is a very informative and unique passage where Paul is writing saying, I just I want to help you understand baptism, and I'm going to give you an example that I've never used before. And, and here's his example. He says in 11, 
In Him, talking about in Christ, you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. You remember the circumcision of the Old Testament, which was the token of the covenant that God made with Abraham that He'd be a father of a great nation? That circumcision was done by the hands of individuals. They circumcised their eight-day-old Hebrew uh, male children. But He says this circumcision is made without hands. In other words, it's not man, it's God that does this circumcision. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried, here it is, this is the description of the circumcision, buried with Him in baptism, in which you are also raised with Him, that's the resurrection with Christ, through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Circumcision was a surgery. He says, I want you to, you're spiritually dead. I want you to have a circumcision that's without hands. This is a surgery that God will do. We see an individual, as as we had the awesome privilege to witness this morning, we see the individual being immersed under the water. But what takes place under that water is that God says, here, I'll perform my surgery. I will cut away the guilt of your sin. It's sin that separates us from God. That's what makes us spiritually dead. When we cut away the guilt of the sin, that's what makes us spiritually alive. So while we are immersed in that water, the great physician says, I'll perform surgery. By the way, where's your operating room, great physician? One place, under the waters of baptism. He doesn't perform that surgery through a sinner's prayer. He doesn't perform that surgery through confession. He doesn't perform that surgery when one invites the Lord into their heart. Friends, we don't have time to elaborate on a lot of that tonight, but I just want you to see the simple teaching from the Scripture. It is so important that we believe. It's so important that we repent. It's so important that we confess. But there is a point in time where Christ makes it very clear, this is the point in time that I will forgive you of your sins. This is the point in time where I will cut away the guilt of your flesh. That's why when we rise out of the water, it's literally in that moment that the Lord says, I forgive you. My grace has covered you. It's there that we rise a new creation because we entered into that water spiritually dead. We come out of that water spiritually alive. Now, notice as we go to Colossians, the third chapter. Look at verse 1, 2, and 3, and notice as we are alive, he says, If then you are raised with Him, raised with Christ, you see where that raise come from, right? He's linking together 3, verse 1, back with 11, 12, and 13. You see, we were buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And he says, now, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is setting the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Now that we are alive spiritually and we're walking with Christ, we've been raised with Him, we're walking with Him, we're going to seek Him. Every day we're going to seek to find God's will in every thing of which we're involved. We're going to set our mind on things above. Where's your heart? Set your heart in heaven. Don't have your heart on this earth. Don't have your heart in, in, in some relationship on this earth. Don't have your heart in some business on this earth. Don't have your heart. I'm talking about the depths of your heart. All of us should have the depths of our heart 
set upon Christ in heaven. Now, as we extend the invitation, I want you to notice verse 4 that brings all of this together. And I honestly don't know if we have a slide on this because we're skipping some things here in our slides. But notice with me, if you have Colossians, the third chapter and verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, how did Christ become our life? Sin separated us from God. We were baptized into Christ, buried into Christ, raised with Christ. Now we're walking with Christ. Now we're seeking Christ which is above. We're setting our mind on Christ who is above. Christ has become our life. And what's going to happen in four? When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Friends, if we had time, we would look at what it's going to be like when Christ appears. First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, tells us when Christ appears, how we will be called up to meet Him in the clouds. Matthew, the 25th chapter, talks about how we will be there and Him sitting on His throne and He'll divide those that are lost from those that are saved and those that are saved will hear, well done, as we're presented to the Father. You see, tonight... We've not studied anything that's difficult to understand, but we're studying things that changes everything. Christ is alive. Yes, He died, but He's alive. Sin gives us spiritual death, but we don't have to stay dead. We can be alive. And there's going to be a day of resurrection where everybody... The graves will come forth and be opened and the bodies will come forth and we all will stand before the Lord on that final day of resurrection. Christ's resurrection is certain. The final resurrection is certain. And we're about to extend an invitation to ask this question. Is your resurrection certain? If you've not had the resurrection in Christ tonight, you need it. It's so important. That surgery without hands to be alive and ready to meet our Savior? If you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins and not ashamed of the Lord and confess Him before man, won't you be baptized into Christ tonight to rise from that waters alive spiritually? Maybe you've become alive spiritually from the waters of baptism, but in the past you've separated yourself from Christ and you find yourself dead again. Won't you repent of those sins, confess those sins one to another as James 5 and 16 teaches, and let's pray forgiveness. Let's make sure... As we leave here tonight, we have all three resurrections just where they ought to be. With all of our heart, we believe in a resurrected Lord. With all of our faith, we have been immersed into Christ, and we have been resurrected. And we're ready. We're looking forward to that great and final resurrection. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.